Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Beginning at the 18th verse. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Morning to friends in Christ Jesus. And it is a good morning, a beautiful morning, and I hope that all of us are glad that we are alive. I hope you are comfortable here in church this morning, that you are glad that you are here. Today, as you know, is the seventh Sunday after Trinity, And the incident that is mentioned in our text for this morning, it took place up in Caesarea Philippi, a city up in northern Galilee, about 100 miles from Jerusalem. The time was the summer before the following spring or April when Jesus was put to death. So this was the third year of his ministry. We are told that in this time Jesus took the 12 disciples and he withdrew from the people and he went to Caesarea Philippi where he was alone with them because he wanted to talk to them. He wanted to find out some things. And so he prayed first and then he turned to them and he said, "Uh, what are people saying about me? And of course they said, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist come back to life and others are saying you're Elijah who has come back to earth. And there are still others that are saying you're one of the old prophets that has come back to life again. And then he turned, and this is what he wanted, he turned to the twelve and he said, but who do you say that I am? You've been with me now nearly three years and you've heard me. What is your conviction? What is your opinion about me? Who do you say that I am? Then it was that Simon Peter, the spokesman for the twelve, speaking for them all, he turned to Christ and he said, in other words, you want to know what we think of you, Jesus? This is what we think of you. You are the Christ of God. Peter said, this is our conviction about you. We've been with you nearly three years. We believe that you are no less than the Savior who was to come into the world, the Savior that God has sent into the world. And Jesus accepted that statement from Peter as speaking for the twelve. And today as we think about the identity of this Jesus, who up there again spoke to the twelve in Caesarea Philippi, we say to ourselves, who is he? What is your conviction and mine about him? What about his identity? And because he accepted this statement of Peter, uh, Jesus tells you and me this morning on the basis of the word of God that he is no less than the Christ of God. Jesus said, do you want to know who I am? I am no less than the Savior that God sent into the world. 
I am no less than that one who gives you no less than the forgiveness of your sins. I am that one who gives you no less than deliverance from an eternity in hell. I am no less than that person who assures you of heaven, of life, of eternal salvation with me in my home. That's who I am. In other words, a magnificent person, a magnificent, fantastic blessing that he gives. And when you and I say, is that who he is? Because he accepted that testimony of Peter that he is no less than the Christ of God. That Jesus says, I am no less than the Savior. I am no less than that person who gives you deliverance, life and salvation. Who forgives you and takes away all guilt from your soul so that you have no guilt whatsoever on your soul. I am that fantastic person who gives you those fantastic blessings. We may say, so that, that's rather hard to believe. We look at him and we say, but after all, uh, he was a great person, all right. When you look at him this morning, we will say he was a great person when he was here among us. But was he that great? And we may say to ourselves, in order to be that great, to be that fantastic a person, and to have that fantastic a blessing, life and salvation to give us, we may say to ourselves, he would have to have been more than a human being. He would have to have been God among us. Then we may shrink and we may say, God among us? He had to have been deity. God himself among us when he was here on earth, that he had to be no less than God. And you and I, we say, yes, why, if he were that fantastic a person to be our Savior and to give us such fantastic blessings, he would have had to have been that great. He would have had to have been no less than God, no less than deity, no less than God himself. And strangely enough, Jesus assures you and me that's exactly what he was. And you and I may say this morning, well, if he was God when he was among us, if this stranger of Galilee, this one who was up in Caesarea Philippi, when again Peter said, you're the Christ of God, you are the Savior that God sent into the world, if he was no less than God, deity, God himself, uh, did he really demonstrate it? Did he show it to us clearly? Uh, was it shown us in an unmistakable way? Can you and I have all the evidence, all the guarantee that he was something special, that he was really supernatural, that he was extraordinary, that he was no less than God himself? And Jesus assures you and me that he has given us all the evidence, he has given us every demonstration that any plain human being who is going to be honest ever needs about the deity of his and this morning I'd like to look at that deity. Jesus says, you want to know who I am? I am no less than the Christ of God. I am no less than your Savior. I am no less than that one that gives you complete forgiveness of your sins. I am the one that delivers you from an eternity in hell. I am the one that gives you heaven, everlasting life. And all because Jesus says, I was no less than God among you. I was no less than deity. I was God himself. And he says, I demonstrated it to you. Let's look at it. Did he give us clear demonstrations, demonstrative proof, every evidence that he was no less than God when he was here on earth? In the first place, Jesus would remind you and me of this, that he demonstrated his deity clearly, unmistakably, distinctly in his life and work. 
we may say to ourselves, this stranger of Galilee preacher, are you trying to say that he was actually God on earth? Well, I need not remind you that the scriptures tell us that he was God, that the scriptures tell us that when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was to be the mother of the Christ child, she was to be the mother of the Savior, he told her that he shall be called the son of the highest. And you and I say, I know the scripture says that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was God's son, but did he ever demonstrate it? Do we just have to believe it because that's what scripture said? Could you see it? Did he demonstrate? Jesus said, did you ever look at my life? Did you ever look at my word? Right, right here, when he was there at Caesarea Philippi and he was talking to the disciples, he said, now don't tell this to anybody. In other words, I accept what you're saying. I am the Christ of God. I am the Savior. Don't tell anybody the world is not ready because he said, first of all, he said, I must suffer many things and I must be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and I must be slain, killed. And again, I must rise again the third day. I would ask you, do you remember the foreknowledge of Jesus? How in the world could he, in the summer before, say, now the time is coming when I'm going to be rejected of the Sanhedrin, they're going to put me to death, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. Here was foreknowledge. He must have been God. If you've got an eye of faith, you can see deity in him when he was here on earth. How about his life? You realize that he was one person in all the world that stood before the world of his day and he said, which of you convinces me of sin? He said, I challenge any one of you. You prove that I'm a sinner. You prove that I've ever thought an evil thought. You prove that I've ever spoken an evil word. You prove that I've ever done an evil deed. And even today in this 20th century, men stand and look at him and they say, here was a perfect life. I challenge you. You say, did he ever demonstrate his godness? He most assuredly did in an impeccable, sinless life. It was tempted. How about in his teachings and in his work? Talk about his teachings. He said that his word is true. He said the scriptures testify of him that he came to fulfill them. And again, because what he said was true. Look at the translations that are being made, especially of the four gospels. Where again we find these are the things that he taught. And even in our 20th century, the world stands and said, this is true, what he spoke. Never has anybody convinced him of a lie. Never has anybody convicted him of a falsehood. He stands not only impeccable in character, but in his teaching. You and I say, did he demonstrate his deity? If you've got an eye of faith, you can see deity written all over him. Then we say, how about his works? He fed 4,000, as you heard in the gospel lesson. How about these miracles? What were they done for? It wasn't just to alleviate human suffering, although he was a merciful Jesus. But again, every miracle that was done was to attest the fact that he was more than a man. He was a stranger of Galilee, but he was no less than God himself, deity here among us. And that's why he fed the 4,000 and fed the 5,000. That's why he turned water into wine. That's why he said to the Sea of Galilee, be still, and it was still. That's why when he said to Jairus' daughter, arise, he arose, and to the young man that named who had died, arise. And when he said to Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. Well, that is why he was able to heal the ten lepers. He was able to heal again. The man that was born blind, he was able to heal the maimed and the halt because he was no less than God. You and I say, you mean to say he is such a fantastic person that he is no less than our Savior, that he is no less than the one who gives us fantastic blessings that only heaven could give? Why, certainly and all because he was no less than God among us. He was God. Surely he was man, but he was no less than God. His miracles are assuring us, and therefore again, Jesus said, you want to know who I am? I am the Christ of God. 
Jesus said, let there be no doubt about it. And you and I can be assured because he was no less than God. He is our Savior. And therefore, he was big enough to be our substitute. We can stand and look at him this morning and say, was he big enough to be the Savior of the world, to be our substitute, to take our place only if he were God? And because he demonstrated his deity, he as a person, this lowly stranger of Galilee, was of more value than the human race because he was no less than God the Son. He was no less than the second person of the Trinity, equal in power and essence and in honor and in authority with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And therefore today, when we talk about the identity of Jesus and we say, who are you, Jesus? Uh, Jesus says, I am what the disciples told me up in the Caesarean Philippian way when they said, I am the Christ of God. I am no less than the Savior that God sent into the world. I am no less than the one that gives you the fantastic blessings of forgiveness that I will take all guilt off of your soul. I deliver you from an eternity in hell. I, again, have provided for you eternal life. And you and I say, oh, how could he be such a fantastic person and such fantastic blessings? Jesus says, because I was no less than God among you. I was deity. I was God himself. And he demonstrated it. And therefore, again, we ought to have this conviction in our souls. I'm going to believe this that he is a fantastic person. He is the one who gives me blessings that only heaven could give. He was no less than God, and that ought to mean I'm going to hold fast to the deity of Jesus Christ. The 20th century and the deity of Jesus Christ. Oh, how men laugh deity. Men say, well, he never, he never claimed deity for himself. No, it's rather strange, and some people get upset about that. Men say, he never claimed deity for himself. Well, if you turn to the word of God, didn't he ever claim that he was God? And again, if you look at it with the eye of faith, why, it's as obvious as the nose on your face and mine. Go back when he was 12 years old, the Jesus in the temple, the child Jesus. When Mary found him, he said, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business at the age of 12. My father, I've got business. Again, when you look at it, the eye of faith, who was he talking to? His father, my father, in a way in which he's nobody else's father. He knew he was God's son. That's why it's in Scripture at the age of 12. We say, how about it? When he went up to Jacob's well and he talked to the woman at Sychar and she said, when Messiah, when the Savior comes, he is going to tell us all about Jesus. I am the Savior. When he admitted that he was the Savior that God sent, he was admitting that he was God. When he healed the blind man, the, said to the blind man, uh, Do you, would you like to know the Son of God? And the blind man said, I haven't seen him. I don't know him. Jesus said, I am he. To a blind man that he heals and I am God the Son. But again, the very name that he loved. Remember the name that he loved above all? He called himself the Son of Man. Oh, I know if you don't want to look at it in faith, you can say, well, he just was saying I'm the Son of Man, just like anybody else, I'm a human being. But oh, no, that isn't what he meant. In the light of who he was when he was born, when he said, I am God the Son, the Son of Man. I am God's Son, I'm also man. That a title means I'm God and I'm man. Son of God and Son of Man united. I am Son, God the Son, I'm man. I'm divine, I'm human. Every time he called himself the Son of Man, when you and I look at the Scriptures with believing hearts, we see his deity. Men, again, like to explain it away, and they like to explain the miracles away. They didn't happen. He was a magician. I don't care what you call him. You can call him a magician if you want to. But because he was no less than God, he was deity, he was God himself among us, uh, therefore those miracles happened. They were historic events. When he fed 4,000 people, he fed them. This is not an apparition. This is not an illustration. It is not a simile or a little illustration or a little story. 
it is an actual happening because my Lord went again. He was up in Caesarea Philippi. He would remind you and me that he was no less than the Savior who, again, a fantastic person bringing fantastic blessings that only heaven could bring because he was no less than God himself. He was deity among us. We say to ourselves, who are you, Jesus? And Jesus again assures us that I am the Christ of God. I am your Savior that God sent into the world. I am no less than your Savior. I am the one that again brings you the complete deliverance of all the guilt of every stinking thing you've ever done in your life. I am the one that delivers you from an eternity after death in hell. I am the one that gives you heaven and salvation to let you live with me throughout all eternity. A fantastic person, fantastic blessings and all because again, he was just that big when he was here on earth. Don't you ever kid yourself. He was no less than God. He was deed. He was God himself on earth. And you and I say, did he demonstrate it? Why, of course, in the second place he reminds you and me that he demonstrated his deity so thoroughly and so unequivocally and again so unmistakably uh, when he faced the cross. Did you ever stand at the cross and say to yourself, do you see his deity there? Some say, I don't see any deity there. When you have the eye of faith, I can see tremendous godness there. He was no less than God. First of all, why did he go to the cross? This was, again, this was the reason why he came into the world. He pointed to the Old Testament and he said, Search the scriptures, the Old Testament, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. An individual say when he referred all the Old Testament testimony, the coming Messiah, the coming Savior to himself, couldn't he have been deluded? Couldn't he have been a sort of a schizophrenic, a split personality, that he was sincere, all right, but he thought he was, oh, he had hallucinations of grandeur? And I answer, does Jesus in his whole life ever give you any grounds whatsoever to ever think that he was an insane man? Or was he the greatest imposter that ever lived? Is there anything that is a fraud about him? And you and I have got to say no. In our 20th century, you can't accuse him of being a fraud, and you can't accuse him of being mentally upset. But again, this was the passion of his life. He said, I am. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I am the one to come, and therefore, you say, where is the deity? The deity was this, that he was convinced that he was the one that by his sufferings and death on the cross would atone for our sins. That he would be the one who would open up heaven for the entire human race. He knew that he was God or there would not have been that determination. Nothing got into his ways and I'm going to the cross. He foretold it, I am going to be killed. And he knew the meaning. Why? Because he was deity. He knew that the salvation of the world depended on him. He had said that he had come from God. He was the only begotten in the bosom of the Father from eternity. He knew who he was and he wasn't a madman. He was not a man who was deluded, nor did he delude us. But again, I would like you to see his deity above all in his love. He must have been God to have loved you and me like that. He loved his enemies. He loved his enemies. He died on the cross for those whom he knew would spit in his face, for those who would hate him, for those that would detest him, for those that would turn and rebel against him and call him every dirty, stinking, scurrilous name that you could ever think of. He loved them to the death. And that is divine love. The kind you don't have and the kind I don't have. There was never any hatred. There was never any resentment. I see deity in that love. He said one day, greater love hath no man than this, 
But a man lay down his life for his friends, and he laid it down for his enemies too. And you and I say, what a fantastic person. You mean that when he was here, he demonstrated his God? And he sure he did, if you look. If you're honest enough to look, it was there in that love and the determination to go to the cross in the assurance that he knew that he was the only way and if he didn't die, there would be no life and salvation. And therefore, he was big enough to have given us a perfect plan of salvation. I see his deity in the plan of salvation that he worked out. Why? Because it's perfect. It's perfect. I've been in the ministry quite a long time. I've never had anybody come to me who wanted to be saved, but what there was a way in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he died for everybody. He died for the stinkers as well as those that don't stink. He died for those whose sins show and for those whose sins don't show. He died for everybody. Why? Because he was no less than God. It's a perfect plan. He again on the cross bore the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me. And he bore all the righteousness, 100% righteousness for the entire human race because it was an eternally timeless sacrifice. I find in the way of salvation something so tremendous, so complete, so perfect that he had to be God. I could never improve on the way of salvation because it includes everybody. It even includes you and it includes me. He must have been God. And therefore, we ought to say to ourselves this morning, there's one thing I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe this, that he was a fantastic person, even though when you look at him, he looked old, he didn't look so big. Standing up there in Caesarea Philippi, talking to the twelve, and they said he was the Christ of God. Uh, how could he have been such a big savior? And how could he have brought such fantastic blessings, eternal blessings? And if he wasn't God, and did he ever demonstrate that he was God among us? Sure he did, if you look at it, and if you believe it, and you take the evidence that we have. And that ought to mean this, that if he isn't your Savior and mine this morning, well, then prime importance in your life and mine ought to be this, that I want him as my Savior. And he mentioned him and said, how do I get him? And he told them that day, he said, if any man will come after me, if you want me to be your Savior, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You may say, preacher, what does that mean? Do you know what it means to deny ourselves? To deny ourselves means to look at ourselves and to take everything in your life and mind that we do that we know is wrong. We know it's wrong. We say, I, I don't care how you rationalize. I don't care how you and I may say, but nevertheless, this brings me joy and I'm justified in doing this. If it's wrong, if it is wrong, Jesus says, deny yourself, take and bring it and lay it at the foot of my cross. Jesus says, and then take up your cross. Believe you me, it's a cross to lay down something you and I like to do. We know it's wrong. We can try to rationalize and justify the way people treat us. Therefore, I can go ahead and I can hate them because the way my wife treats me, I can be adulterous and the way this happens to that. Jesus says, you deny yourself if it's wrong. You lay it at the foot of my cross. If you're sorry, you'll be sorry enough to quit. And it's a cross. It'll simply mean, oh just like cutting off your arm and then Jesus says follow me ask me to forgive you and then and only then Jesus says when you make that the prime thing in your life that you come and you lay it at the cross and you ask me to forgive you then and only then you'll have peace sometimes we say to ourselves I don't feel any different being a Christian may I say to you is say to myself is it this that you and I have never denied ourselves is there a little pocket in your life where Christ doesn't get or in mine where we say, I know it's wrong, but I don't want him to look there. If there is a pocket in your life and mine where there's something wrong and we haven't denied it and laid it at the foot of the cross, you never will feel the warmness of Jesus Christ. He'll be like water on a duck's back. You'll never feel him. But of prime importance, Jesus says, 
go ahead and do it and bear the cross because what advantage would there be if you save your life and not do it and get everything and even own the world and lose your own soul? Jesus said, you lose your soul, it would better you had never been born. You end up, you and I'll never win the whole world and we end up with just a little hole in the ground where we're going to be. Is it worth losing our eternal salvation? And yet we turn to the church today and we say, if this is the prime important, what's happening in the church today? Do you ever say a time in the history of the Christian church when all churches and denominations are meeting and all oh, they're simply pontificating on every subject in God's world and oh, this is it and we read here oh, that again this is regard to homosexuality and with regard to sex oh, this is all right outside of marriage and sometimes these things shock us and about abortion whether a mother wants to abort that life and her nuts up to her and you and I are saying, so it's disturbing, and we're saying, what, what's happening in the church? Is the church forgetting something that is vital? Our church meets in October in San Antonio, our American Lutheran Church. God knows what's coming up. I don't know. I expect to be there, but I wonder. Again, this pontificating on also about the war, how we ought to end it, as though when a church gets together and it takes a vote, as though that's the answer of God. May I say this? It's disturbing. My phone's been ringing quite a bit here lately, even some long-distance calls. People are saying, is it right? Is sex right apart from marriage? Uh, since when does God say that? May I just say that? I don't care what church says that. Nothing is right just because any church says it in any of its prognostications or any of its pontificating unless it can be proved on the basis of the Word of God. God gave you and me a conscience, and may I say this, never go against your conscience on the basis of the Word of God. I don't care what any church says about anything. God will judge you and me on the basis of your conscience and mine on the basis of the Word of God. Just because any church says something doesn't necessarily make it right. I rather feel sorry for some of the Roman Catholics. You know, about 200 of them went to Rome to see the Pope. And they had a petition and they said, bring the Catholic Church back to where it was. And he refused to see them. I can sympathize with them. They're confused. People are confused. Say, what, what, where, is this? where is this prime thing of denying ourselves? Where is this thing of Jesus Christ? Are we forgetting this? Oh, we're pontificating on so many things as though we had the answer to the war problem. Don't let anybody kid you. Let your conscience be guided on the basis of the Word of God. I don't care what church pontificates anything. If it is not in keeping with the Word of God, it isn't necessarily true. And the peace of God isn't going to come to you and me until we are guided by our conscience. And first and primary is this. Have I denied myself? Am I bearing the cross of repudiation? Then and only then comes the peace of saying he's a grand, fantastic person. He's my Savior. In him I have the complete forgiveness of my sins. He's washed all my guilt away. I'm delivered from hell. I am saved unto eternal life. Uh, that's the prime thing of Jesus. Oh, he was up there in Caesarea Philippi. And again, who do you say I am? Who is he? And Jesus says, you want to know who I am? I'm no less than your Savior. I am no less than the one that brings you the most fantastic blessings that heaven can bring. I'm a fantastic person, a fantastic person giving gifts. You and I may say, well, was he God when he was here on earth? He would have to be. And Jesus said, and I assure you that I was no less than God among you. I was deity. I was God himself, and I demonstrated it. 
You and I may say, Diddy, why Christ reminds me that when he was here on earth, he demonstrated clearly and distinctly without any question. He guaranteed that he was no less than God among us when he faced the grave. By that day, he told them, he said, now don't tell anybody this, the world isn't ready, but he said, this is what's going to happen. He said, I'm going to be killed. And he said, again, I am going to raise myself the third day. Here you have foreknowledge. Raise himself from the dead. You know, one time they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that should come? Are you the Savior that God promised? Give us proof. And he said, I'll give you proof. And he reached back into the Old Testament to the story of Jonah. Strange, my Lord believed the story of Jonah. He believed that fish story, and I believe it too, because he did, see. If, he, if, if he's a chump, I'm glad to be a chump with him. He believed that, again, a man named Jonah lived, and he believed that he was swallowed by a big fish. And Jesus says, as Jonah was swallowed, and the fish came forth. So again, I'll go into the earth, and I'll come out again. I'm going to rise. He said, I stake my whole claim on my resurrection. He arose from the dead. Talk about a miracle. He raised himself. I stood in that tomb, that empty tomb in Joseph's garden, and what a thrill. A living Christ. He conquered the grave. And therefore, you talk about what he did, hey, why his resurrection, and they saw him, those disciples saw him alive. And therefore, again, he is a fantastic person bringing fantastic blessings. He was no less than God because he on earth was big enough to provide and protect his church that the gates of hell shall never prevail against it and he certainly is coming again is he the savior you say such fantastic blessing you mean to tell me that he can wash all my guilt off of my soul that he is the one that can deliver me from an eternity a just verdict of hell because of my sins yes that he's the one that can give me heaven raise my body from the dead and live with me in the new heavens and the new earth you mean to tell me he was that fantastic that he was no less than God yes because he again showed his deity in his resurrection and he's coming back he said I'll be back and when I come back well, these blessings fantastic though they may be will be realities and it ought to mean today then this that you and I will determine if we have denied ourselves if we again have made him our savior that we're not going to be ashamed of him regardless of what others are doing and regardless of the twilight hour in which we're living I don't know how you feel about this twilight hour Jesus says don't be ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation don't be ashamed to admit that you belong to me because when I come again, I don't want to have to be ashamed of you. And we look in the twilight hour, and I was thinking of it the other night. You, no doubt as I, you listened to the president as he talked on television with the reporters. And the thing that to me was tremendous when he said, the real problem in the world is not in Vietnam. The real problem, he says, is in the Middle East. Is it just passing fancy that in the Middle East, where the real problem is, that of all nations under heaven, and you can name them by the hundreds, why is it that right in the center is Israel? Israel. Did you hear me? The Jew. Is that just, just something that happened? Is that just the coincidence? The Jew, 
Israel, oh, I know they crucified our Lord and turned the Messiah now, but they're God's chosen people, aren't they? From the Jew came this fantastic Savior. Our president said, we've got to watch that in the balance of power that Israel should not be pushed into the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. When I was in Israel, I stood on the plains of Megiddo. Does that mean anything to you? Did you ever hear of Megiddo? Did you ever hear of Armageddon? You have, haven't you? I stood on the plains of Megiddo, thanks to you who got me there. There again, the plains of Megiddo, where it says that more human blood has been shed than on another other place in all the world. And here you have the Middle East, the Arab against Israel, God's chosen people, Megiddo. And Jesus says something about Armageddon. You think you and I are going to close our eyes and things are going to get better? When Russia is over there putting in nuclear arms and missiles around the Suez Canal and our president says we can't allow the balance of power to go because this is ready to explode. The world is concentrating, isn't it, on in the Middle East, Israel. Is Armageddon that near? Oh, I know every generation has said, here's Armageddon, but what generation is facing what we're facing when the world seems to be coming apart at its seams? And in the center, Israel and the world. And the president said it would be nuclear arms. I don't look for things to get better, and I'm not a pessimist. I wonder if this isn't the twilight hour when Jesus is coming back. I wonder if this isn't the time when, again, Jesus said, lest there be nobody left that would believe, I'm coming back. I wonder if this isn't the time, listen, Mom and Dad, you may be mourning because God in his mercy took a boy or a girl from your home or your husband or your wife. I wonder if the time may not come and you'll go to the cemetery and you'll get down and kneel at the grave and say, Thanks, God, for taking my boy, taking my girl. Oh, you've spared him a lot. Oh, why don't you take me too? Why don't you go to the cemetery this afternoon? Kneel down at the grave of that one that you love more than life itself. Why don't you start thanking God and say, God, in the twilight hour, I'm beginning to see your mercy. You've spared my little boy or my girl or my husband or my wife. You've spared them a lot. It looks like it's coming. So that when he comes, God knows he's coming. And Armageddon looks like it's right here. Because I don't see any way out except the second coming of Jesus Christ. Though when he comes again in his glory, in the glory of the Father, and the glory of the holy angels, only one thing's going to matter as far as you're concerned or I'm concerned, that he's not ashamed of you. No, God, that he wouldn't be ashamed of me. That he can look at you and me and smile. Nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to matter. He was a fantastic Savior, fantastic blessings, and he's coming through and he's going to gain the victory and he's going to judge the world because, you see, he was God among us. Sure he was. He was deity. 
He was God himself if you just open up your eyes big enough and you look at him. If we've denied ourselves, let's walk the glory road this morning. Let's not be ashamed of him. Let's say only one thing matters. I know he's coming again. Then we can walk the glory road and we can sing bearing our cross. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Soldiers of the cross, every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. Soldiers of the cross, sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Soldiers of the cross, if you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him? Soldiers of the cross, rise, shine, give God glory. He's fantastic. Give him glory. Don't be ashamed of him. Rise, shine, give God glory. Rise, shine, give God glory. Soldiers of the cross, he's fantastic. He is the Christ of God, that stranger from Galilee. He is our Savior. He is the one and the only one that brings fantastic blessings. Don't be afraid. Let's not be ashamed. Rise, shine, give God glory. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.